A graduate of USC's theater school, Timothy Dowling earned his first feature film role in the 1997 Fran Drescher Timothy Dalton movie, The Beautician and the Beast. This led to other parts in Terminator 3 and Thank You for Smoking, but Tim's love of performing would be put on hold after starring in and co-writing a pair of hugely successful short films, George Lucas in Love and Evil Hill. Tim continued writing and penned a comedy spec script, Outsourced, about a pair of guys whose jobs are outsourced to Mexico and decide to go to Mexico to get their jobs back. Hilarity ensued. The script made the prestigious blacklist and earned him meetings all over town. Tim quickly became one of Hollywood's go-to comedy writers, and in 2010, he was named one of Variety's 10 screenwriters to watch. He's gone on to write a number of studio hits, such as Role Models, Just Go With It, and This Means War. He's also a top script doctor, doing rewrite jobs on a myriad of films, including What Happens in Vegas, She's Out of My League, and Night and Day. Tim's current projects include a highly anticipated sequel to the De Niro classic, Midnight Run, Adam Sandler vehicle, Pixels, and a remake of the Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby 1970s film, Uptown Saturday Night, for Will Smith. Tim takes a quick time out from his busy schedule to talk about his writing process, if being an actor helps with dialogue, and how he prepares for pitches. All that and more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're speaking with screenwriter and thespian, uh, Tim Dowling. Uh, thanks for joining <laughs> us today, Tim. Uh, thanks, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, now, we met a long time ago at USC, and you yes. were actually in the theater program. You were an actor, uh-huh. and still are an actor, but uh, screenwriting has sort of taken over your life. Um, we, we both worked with, actually, Joe Nussbaum on his film, his thesis film, Vengeful Thoughts. Uh, yeah. You've since gone on to become a top screenwriter, but again, you were an actor for a long time um, and have done stuff from Terminator 3 um, to Thank You for Smoking, stuff like that. Can you tell me, in terms of making that transition from actor to screenwriter, how did that happen for you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up, um, I, I always wanted to be an actor as far back as I can remember. And my dad told me years later that um, I walked out of Star Wars, which I saw when I was three years old, and said I wanted to do that. Um, but growing up, I always, you know, I like I did school plays. It was something I always wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I always loved movies, you know, mainly. And so I went to USC, and I was in the theater program, and, you know, I did plays every semester, and I was in an improv comedy group um, called Communist Interruptus that, uh, yeah, a lot of, actually, a lot of the alumni that have been doing pretty well, like Jason Reitman, who did Thank You for Smoking, and Juno, and Upping the Air was in that, and uh, Elizabeth Hackett, who's become a, a great comedy screenwriter and, and written a couple movies, and Abby Cohn, who wrote, you know, um, He's Just Not That Into You and Valentine's Day um, was in that troupe and, and, you know, a couple other people. Um, so I, I was, yeah, I was kind of doing that and pursuing it. And I got an agent while I was in school and, and I got my uh, first movie as an actor right when I graduated, which was awesome. Um, it's called The Beautician and the Beast and uh, shot at Paramount and in Prague, which was really cool. Um, and then really it was all downhill from there as an actor <laughs> for me, for the most part. Um, you know, I somehow, I, you know, it's like I, I never really had, I don't think a great agent, um, unlike where I've been very lucky writing wise, where I've had great people the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I feel like I was with people that never really quite understood what I should be doing. Um, and so like, I didn't audition that much, but I was lucky to somehow pay the bills and, and work, um, enough as an actor to be able, like make that my job. 
Um, but I was really in like the poverty level. <laughs> like I was making like $15,000 a year and I think right. like Goodyear was like, you know, 20 or something. Um, but anyway, somehow I managed to pay the bills. And I think after a couple of years, um, you know, it was, it was sort of like, as a go, maybe I'll write something um, that I can act in. Um, and then it became quickly apparent that it's hard enough to sell anything, let alone, oh, by the way, I want to be in it. Um, but that sort of started the process. And then, um, you know, the main thing is like, and we can talk about that uh, too, is that I did the short film with uh, Joe Nussbaum, our, our mutual mm-hmm. friend, yeah. um, called George Lucas and Love. And uh, it, you know, it was, my involvement was mainly to um, basically try to get Joe some attention as as a director. And so I was sort of, you know, um, as, a, as, as he always would call it, like a, a student of the industry. Um, I mean, I always loved, I was sort of a sponge with this stuff. Like I'd love, you know, I'd go to uh, before, you know, everything was online. Like I, when we were in, when we were in college, I would like go to Seven Eleven and just like flip through variety and like read everything. And I would remember everything. Um, and, uh, anyway, uh, we, uh, you know, there was like a trend around then of, uh, people doing these like, uh, short spoofs and right. like there was this, um, I don't know if you saw it, but there was one called troops that, um, was like a uh, star Wars one. Uh, yeah, with stormtroopers, that yeah. was really funny. And uh, you know, the first one was the Spirit of Christmas, which um, was uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the South Park guys. Right, right. And it was basically. Did you see that when I, I got passed around? I did. I was actually working on Batman and Robin in the production office there, and we oh, got really? it. And everybody it was hysterical because it turned out it started as a Christmas card, right? To, yeah, um, yeah. I think I the think president the of MTV. A, yeah, I think basically I forget who hired them, but someone hired them, and I don't know how they knew who they were to do like a Christmas card, you know, to send right. to friends. And then I think, I don't know how it got to MTV. Somehow George Clooney was involved. I think he became like a big fan of it and started passing it around or, or whatever. But it was one of those things at the time, which it's amazing how far technology's come. And right. it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but everyone would just make a bunch of VHS tapes of it. And it was really, I mean, I guess the internet was around, but it wasn't, you weren't like loading these things on there yet. Right. Um, and uh but but basically you would like every once in a while and for for like two years like i'd be at a party or someone like oh you got to see this thing and there'd be like a you know like ninth generation like dub version of the spirit of christmas right which if you haven't seen is basically south park it's it's about jesus and santa claus battling out on christmas but it's south park and it's all the characters and and so anyway so from that they got south park so there'd been like a history of um um, like around this time, a trend of like, and they were, it was very like an insider Hollywood thing of like, um, people were making these shorts and they would just get passed around amongst executives and then people would get agents and people were getting development deals from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I was kind of bugging Joe to do one of those and came up with the idea. Um, I'd seen Shakespeare in Love um, before it came out. And, uh, and I was like, oh, this is a really good sort of template. And, you know, Joe and I are both big, um, you know, Star Wars fans and George Lucas fans. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, people to do it with, and one day came up with the idea, and then, uh, you know, went and did it a couple months later, and then it, it, you know, became like a really big thing, and, and it, it, it did what we wanted it to do in terms of that, and then it did get passed around, and, and it got a lot of attention for Joe, the, you know, the director, and he got signed um, by uh, by Endeavor at the time, which is now WME, they merged with William Morris a couple right. years ago, and, um and so, so anyways, he got with them and he, you know, got hired to do some um, feature film stuff and, and um, he got hired for like five movies over a couple of years and, and they didn't, they didn't end up going. It's hard to get a movie made. Uh, eventually yeah. he made one, but, um, but yeah, that was sort of the start more of me writing more um, is that after that, you know, I just kind of did it to sort of try to help him out uh, or, I mean, just 
I was pushing him to do it and coming up with the idea was more like, Hey, you should do this thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I was a writer and, and involved with it, you know, um, you know, people were just asking me more like, Oh, do you want to write? And so, um, about a year later I wrote, um, it wasn't my first script. I'd written like this, um, ET ish alien thing, like on and off in high school and college a couple years before, but it was my first like real comedy script, which is kind of what I do now. Um, and it was called uh, Back to the Teen Movie. And it was the summer of scary movie where uh, at the time, like, you know, it sort of brought the film back and, um, and, you know, people were sort of interested in that stuff. And so, you know, my idea for that was sort of making fun of uh, the gross out trend that was going on at the time where every movie was like, it was like, um, you know, there's something about Mary did really well, but right. people didn't seem to understand why it did really well. You know, and, and what they took away from it is like, oh, people want gross out humor. And so that was when, like, every movie was more disgusting than the last. And, and so it was, it was sort of a, it was a short spoof kind of making fun of the current crop of teen movies and um, the idea of that. And it, it's a script that I, I really enjoyed writing and I wrote pretty quickly. But it was basically um, used Back to the Future as a template um, to sort of make fun of these films. And it, it involved, like, a Marty McFly and, like, a Doc Brown character um, coming from the more innocent 80s teen movie sort of coming into the present day or one step beyond it and being kind of totally fish out of water um and uh and so that was yeah that was my kind of first real sort of comedy script and and uh you know be uh i gave it to joe who was a good fine and um oh kevin i'm so sorry that was my my phone is dying let me switch phones real quick. <laughs> okay hold on very okay. hey hey oh, i'm sorry i need to get a new phone um but, uh, but yeah, so Joe gave it to his agent at Endeavor and his manager, uh, this guy, J.C. Spink, um, at Bender Spink, and said he wanted to direct it, and, and I didn't have any representation, so they, um, you know, they really liked the script, and they offered to represent me, and we went out with it, and um, it didn't sell, but it, it came very close to selling, and, and it, you know, people seemed to like the writing, and it got a bunch, you know, it got me a bunch of attention as a writer, and so that sort of started the process of me becoming a writer. Um, and I didn't start working for, <laughs> I didn't actually get a job for a couple of years, but, um, but just on the basis of that script, like I was meeting with producers and people from studios and, you know, a lot of people saying like, Oh, we can't believe your script didn't sell for $2 million. And, um, and I was like, well, you didn't buy it, but, but they, they, uh, you know, people seem to like it. And that kind of started that process for me. Well, someone still could buy it for $2 million. You should have said. <laughs> True. Although that's coming back. That's funny. Like I missed out on the, um, the uh, spec market where people were buying scripts for millions right. of dollars. That was sort of uh, once I started working, that was kind of like the end of that. Um, <laughs> but, but in the past year, like there've been, there've been a couple of big sales. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it, someday. It, it seems cyclical. So I, I'm mm. sure it'll, you know, come back around and then they'll, you know, pull it back as, you know, almost like a uh, uh, sports franchises, you know, yeah. when, when they, they sign a new collective bargaining agreement, they bring all the salaries down and then profits right. start to soar and they start paying more and right. more. And then, they, again, they realize how much they're paying, and then they, they scale it back. So it seems like it's cyclical. So you'll get two million dollars at some point. Yeah. I, pre- I predict <laughs> that. That'd be great. Well, thank you. But yeah, it's, it's really is interesting. Like, and I don't think people because I think for a while, um, you know, movie and it's interesting because we've had, this is the biggest year for movies ever. Movies have been doing pretty well, but um, you know, I think with all the big corporations and and you know with the economy downturn, like they really have been cutting costs more than I think people realize. And, and look, it's a people get paid really well and it's a ridiculous amount of money. But, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when everyone like, you know, when the, the big one was when Jim Carrey got $20 million for the right. cable guy. Right. And then all these other people were like, wait a minute, if he can get that, I should get that. And, and, you know, for a while that was pretty standard, but I, I think it's very rare that actually actors get that anymore these days. Um, excuse me. 
I mean, I think the the way it should be, I mean, we don't need to get to talking about Hollywood economics, but, <laughs> you know, um, I think the hangover model was really smart of, um, and, you know, Todd Phillips should get a lot of credit for it, is that he, he wanted to make that movie with Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms and Zach Galifianakis and the studio, you know, they're like, none of those guys are really big names at the time. And they didn't really want to do it. And, and Todd, you know, was a successful comedy director and, and I, I think he gets a pretty good fee. But he sort of, um, I don't know exactly what the deal was, but, you know, he basically, I think, waived most of his upfront money in exchange for them making the movie with these guys, which, you know, you should give Warner Brothers a lot of credit for doing that. Right. Um, but in exchange, I think he got like a, a huge chunk of the back end of the movie and ended up making like so much money. Right. And and it, it feels like that should be more of the model. It's like, okay, well, let's all invest in this. And like, you know, it's like the movie's successful. Like we all should benefit from it. Sure. Um, there's just always these, um, you know, shady accounting things where like, you know, I've done a couple movies. I think they've all made money and stuff. And and as a writer, I think you get like, you know, five percent or two point five percent of the net net gross of the movie, which is like after you know supposedly they've gotten other costs back and made everything, and then right. you get money. And like I've never seen a cent from any of those, <laughs> which I think is pretty standard. You always get these movies like, um, you know, with the guy that wrote um, the book for Forrest Gump or Roger Rabbit suing, and because they you know technically those movies that made hundreds of millions of dollars never actually made money. Right. Um, but, right. Um, Anyway, we got sidetracked. I, mean, I don't know how we got off on the tangent, but <laughs> no, it's, good, uh, it's, it's, good, it's still good information. Um, yeah. Well, again, going back to your acting really quickly. Sure. Now, you've done a lot of sort of improv, sketch comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had a lot of acting training. How do you think that's helped you as a writer in terms of, you know, especially in terms of dialogue, in terms of pacing, things like that? I think it. I, I think it's been really helpful and very beneficial. I mean, I, I definitely think that if if you want to do this or if you want to be a writer or a director or an actor, I think the more jobs you know or the more aspects of the business you know, the, the more it's going to help you. I think you know, like back in in high school, like I directed a play one time and I did once in college too. And I think directing, being on the other side of it, definitely you know, helps you understand, as an actor, helps you understand that process more. And conversely, it's like, you know, being an actor, I think, helped me work with actors better when I did that a long time ago. Um, and, it, and I think it, I feel like for me, you know, when I wrote Back to the Team movie or when I found my voice sort of as a, as a comedic writer, it was, um, it was really kind of doing, you know, um, what I did when I did improv comedy, um, which was like, you know, in that, you know, what I would always try to do is like, okay, I'm not going to censor myself and just be as creative as possible. You know, if that involves saying the most random thing that comes to your mind. And, um, you know, a lot of times that worked for me. And, and I, I feel like when I found my voice as a, as a comedy writer, it was sort of like, okay, it's taking the skills that, you know, that I use with improv, which is that of like not censoring yourself and trying to be as creative as possible. But instead of playing one character, you're playing all of them. Um, and I think, I think as an actor, I, I think a lot of the scripts that most of the projects that I've worked on have been, um, you know, what they uh, call uh, writing assignments from the studios, mm-hmm. where they basically bought a pitch or a script at some point, um, where they've developed different versions of it, and they sort of like the basic idea and feel like that's an idea that they want to make a movie out of. But um, some of the ones I've been involved with, and, and sometimes, I mean, there's different levels of the, but, but a lot of times, like, okay, they're not happy with the version that they have. So it's like they like this idea and they want you to come in and come up with a different version of it. Um, and so I, a lot of the stuff that I've, I've done is like when they have something like that. And for the most, most part, it, movies get made if you get actors that the studio deems bankable enough to invest all that money and time you know, and resources into making that movie. Um, if, if, they, if they get someone that they feel comfortable with spending that money towards, they'll make that movie. So 
most of the times, like if you have a script that can get, you know, an actor or two that, that they want to do that with, and hopefully you'll get that movie made. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that I've done as a writer has been like coming on board to work on the characters and, um, and trying to write a character that, you know, hopefully you get one of these actors who want to play. And I think having been an actor and coming from that world, it's definitely beneficial in that regard, at least for me. And that I sort of look at it as like, okay, well, when I was acting, what, like, if I was going to play this part, what would I want to do? And it's sort of like, okay, well, it's a comedy. So it's like, I, I would, you want to have good dialogue. Like you want to be able to say funny things. Like you want to have good set pieces and situations to like give the actor something to do. And so I think, um, you know, as a writer, I always sort of come from from that place. It's like, okay, if you're writing a part for a movie star, it's like, well, what, you know, you got to write something interesting that's going to make them want to decide to do your project. Right. Um, so, so I think in that regard, and also having been an actor and like, you know, knowing what things sound like, or, or like, okay, you've got to speak these words that, you know, are coming out of your mouth. Um, it's, it's, I think that's been helpful too. It's like, okay, you know, it's like I was an actor and I had to, you know, you get, even especially when you're auditioning too, it's like you get a piece of, um, you know, material and you have to make it sound good and you have to make it work. And so I, I think, you know, having been on the other side of that, I think it's definitely helpful as a writer. Right. As an actor, uh, I can imagine there's, there's not much worse than getting some sides that are just awful and having <laughs> to try to sell that. Uh, well, I think it's, you know, it's one of those things too, especially, especially in TV on film when you're auditioning a lot, um, mm-hmm. you know, the writer isn't often there and it's rare that they are, um, unless you're a writer director, um, but, you know, when you're doing TV, the writer is more, you know, the, the, the film is a director's medium uh, right. for the most part. And TV is more of a, you know, writer-producer medium. And so, like, they always used to say when you're going to read, really for anything, but if you're going to read for a TV show, it's like um, you're reading for the writer. So the writer wants you to take them what they've given you and make it work. Like, they don't want you to come and say, like, oh, this line doesn't sound right. Can I fix it? Right, <laughs> but, right. Yeah, you're probably going to get pretty quickly doing that. Um you know, I think some film stuff like is more open, especially now. It's like, okay, you know, they might want to see if you can improvise, and which is always a good skill to have. Um, but I, but anyway, I, I think if you can come in and like, you know, we spend a lot of time writing these things, and, and you write, especially comedically, like you know, you try to write to a rhythm to the dialogue, and, and it's like if you have an actor come in that can take that and capture what you're looking for, or make it better, then you know, I mean, obviously, then it's like, okay, you're going to want to go with that person. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, now, uh, you had mentioned in, in terms of your acting, how your previous acting agent uh, wasn't necessarily as on the ball in terms of finding out what you as an actor should be doing. Um, I, don't, I, mean, I don't mean to throw them on the I, I just, no, no, no. you know, I think, it's, I think it's always hard to, you know, it's always hard to find someone that, that gets you and, and sure, you know, having the right a- agents and managers, I think is always tricky on both sides of it. I think for me, you know, I think one of the things for me as an actor is that, you know, when I would come in on stuff like, you know, it's different meeting someone in the room as opposed to like, um, you know, seeing them in something. And, you know, it's like, I did a lot of comedy and, you know, I did a lot of theater and, you know, play like the leading man part, but you're not, the, the agents that you're working with aren't, they, they've never seen that stuff. So they, they're only going off of the tape that you have and the things that you do. And um, yeah, I feel like I just never, I never had anyone that, that really sort of quite understood what I should be doing. And I think they were sort of like, they couldn't figure out if I was, you know, they're like, well, okay, you're the leading man or you're the best friend. And it's like, okay, I probably fell somewhere in between those. Um, but yeah, I just, um, they were very nice people, but, but I, I never, I never felt like I was auditioning um, the amount that I wanted to. And, and it's hard to get work. And so it's really hard to get work if you're not really going out for stuff. Right. Um, so, um, but then conversely, I've been very lucky, um, you know, that 
film-wise, I've, I've been with great people and stuff. I mean, on, excuse me, on the writing side, I've been with really great people that um, have been great from the start. And so. Right. Um, but to, to throw in another sports analogy, um, sure. it, it's like they say in, 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 in sports, a tweener. It's somebody who's sort of in between two positions. And yeah, you think yeah. inherently versatility is great. You know, as a writer, as an actor, versatility is great. But essentially, when you're getting your start, sometimes specialty, you know, how many seven foot three guys are in the NBA who really have very few basketball skills because right. they're seven foot three, because they, they have a unique set of skills. They can raise their arms, block shots, play defense. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, somebody who might be too small to be a power forward, too, you know, uh, fast to be this or that, you know, they sometimes have a harder time finding a spot, even though their range of skills might be better suited. Um, yeah. So, again, going back to what we were talking about in terms of uh, film, like as an actor being between a, a leading man and, you know, the best friend is sometimes more difficult, even though you have more range and things. But as a writer, it can also be a problem if you have too many sort of interests, too many different specs going out for different genres, um, whereas you have sort of found that niche. And that's not to say that you don't have the skill or ability to do something else, but to really find that niche, I think, uh, I, I think is very important. And, you know, being known for comedy, especially buddy comedies like role models and this means war, um, is, is imperative. And it really kind of behooves young writers. Uh, what do yeah, you Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I, it's interesting because I think there's two schools of thought on it. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I used to debate which one was best is that when I, when I started writing, um, you know, my, first script I talked about, like it was a comedy. And so people were interested in me for that. And, and I wrote a couple comedies and after I, think I wrote three of them, but I also pitched a bunch. And so after that, like I was, you know, people seemed to like them, but they weren't selling. I, I was, I was getting a little frustrated and I was like, well, well maybe, you know, maybe I'll try something else. It's like, I love, you know, I love nothing more than the big summer action movie. And, um, and so I was like, well, I'm going to write an action script. Like, and I decided to write like, you know, like a diehard type script that, you know, for a while they kind of ran to the ground. But when I wrote, <laughs> Um, the one that I wrote, there hadn't been one for a while. It's like, well, I'm going to try to bring this back. Um, and what what I found, and I, and I think a lot of, like, well, I'll meet young writers or people who ask me, you know, for advice or friends and stuff, and they have that attitude of, um, which is totally reasonable to think that way, of like, oh, the more I can do, you know, the better off I'll be. Right. But they'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to write a comedy, and I'm going to write a drama, and I'm going to write a thriller. But I think when you're trying to break into the business, and look, there's no rules for anything, and so sure. it's like you never know. But um, I do think it is good to be typecast a little bit um, at the start and stuff because then you become known for something. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like you were saying, it's like I, I do, you know, everything I write is somewhat comedic. I mean, they're all, all basic comedies, but I've been doing some action comedies, some other things. But there was, there's always, you know, some sort of sense of comedy in there. Right. But I think starting out, um, I did sort of like my, my script that led to most of the other stuff was called Outsourced. And it was a buddy comedy that at the time um, – you know, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson were attached to Starring, and they 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 got attached right around um, when they were shooting Wedding Crashers because they really enjoyed working with each other. And so I was writing it before the movie had come out and been a big hit. But I do think that you know, and, and role models for whatever reason, um, you know, everyone seemed to have read that script and it got on the blacklist. You know, when the blacklist was in the early stages, it wasn't as big as it is now. But um, mm -hmm. anyway, lots of people seemed to have read Outsource for some reason. And that was really the script that, you know, people really seemed to like and led to a lot of these other opportunities for me. And um, Role Models came directly out, out of that. Is that Role Models was a, um, 
the stretcher Luke Greenfield, who didn't end up directing the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Girl Next Door, which I was a huge fan of. And Luke had been developing a um, uh, a drama version of or dramatic version of the role model's idea, basically called Big Brother, about a guy that is forced into the Big Brother program and mentors a kid. And, you know, I think they they were having trouble casting it and stuff, and it wasn't fully working. And then Luke had read my script outsourced, and, you know, which was a buddy comedy. Um, you know, I was inspired by, like, the Ivan Reitman, Bill Murray comedies of the 80s. Right. And, you know, um, it was basically about two guys that um, they get, you know, it's like they work at a factory in San Diego, and, you know, everyone in the town works for this factory, and it gets shut down and outsourced to Mexico. And so they're all out of work, and there's no jobs for their skill anymore. And so these two guys, you know, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson uh, type guys decide that they're going to go to Mexico and get their old jobs back. I just wanted to say that, you know, when I had seen that, uh, the notice of, of you selling that pitch and read the, the, uh, the log line for outsource, it's, it's effing brilliant. I mean, it absolutely oh, is brilliant. Um, so I, I just had to throw that in there. So. <laughs> oh, thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah. It, it. You know, it's it, it's so interesting. We can talk about this later. Um, I'm, I'm I'm saying like five different things right now, but anyway, <laughs> I'll try to get back to the point of um, and then we can talk about outsourcing and what happened with that. But yeah. but basically, I, I think your point is very right. It's like you want to be known for something. Mm-hmm. And so what happened to Role Models? Like he read a buddy comedy of mine. He's like, oh, that's what this movie should be, and that led to that job. Um, and you know, and so he's like, okay, take this concept of a guy forced into the Big Brother program. And let's make it a buddy comedy about two guys that shouldn't be mentoring kids forced into the situation. Um, and so because they'd read me do that, you know, a buddy movie, you know, it's like, and they liked that version of it. And then it led to me getting, you know, a similar type of job. Sure. And then because I'd done that buddy movie as well, um, and it was right around that time. But um, when, after, uh, um, well, I'll tell that story in a second. But, but anyway, the point is that I, I think, it's like if people see you do something really well, and they've read a couple of comedies of yours or a couple of buddy comedies of yours, it's like, okay, they, they didn't think of you for that stuff. And if mm-hmm. a job comes up in that vein, then it's like they're more apt to think of you because they've seen you do it a couple of times. If they read like one comedy of yours and they read a drama and they read a thriller, they don't really know what to do with you. Right. Um, and so I think, I think when you're starting off, it's better to sort of like, okay, you know, yes, I want to do lots of different things. But like, what's the thing that I love the most and what's the thing that I'm best at? And try to really make a name for yourself doing that. And then, you know, hopefully if that works out once successful, then you can kind of branch off and do, you know, other things or find like a segue from this thing to that thing. But I think that from my personal experience and seeing friends that I think that's the best way to get started and to, you know, make a name for yourself in the business. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yeah, I mean, let's go let's go talk about outsourced how, uh, you know, again, a brilliant pitch, brilliant log line. Um, Hopefully it will still get made. I mean, it, it, it sounds like, you know, it, it, how can it not get made? Um, I, I mean, look, it, it's really, it's really, I've been very lucky and I've had a couple of movies made. I mean, right. um, it's, it's really hard to get a movie made. It, no, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I think all you can do is do the best job that you can do. And, sure. and, but you know, it's, it's just all the pieces need to come together at the right time. You need to have the right director. Um, you right. need to have the, the right stars and, and, you know, it's like it's something that the studio wants to make and it fits into their, you know, it's like their release pattern of like, okay, this is our schedule. Like, like what do we need? Um, sure. You know, and I think especially the past couple of years, it's gotten harder is that the studios are all pretty focused on, I um, mean, I love these movies, but big summer tenpole, tenpole, like, you know, like properties. 
Um, and so there's not a lot of room for the other stuff, which has gotten tough. I mean, the nice thing about this year, and hopefully it will make a difference, is, um, you know, like Lincoln's made like $153 million. And like Argo made $100 million. And Django and, and Les Mis, and, which is great. And, um, you know, hopefully people look at that and, and say, and look, I, I, like I said, I love those other movies, but it, it's nice to have a mix and, and say, you know, it's like people don't want to go see a superhero movie every week. Um, I mean, right. I probably would enjoy that, but, but it's nice to, <laughs> You know, it's nice to have a mix of good movies, and hopefully we'll get back to that a little more because I think it's sort of swung in the other direction for a little bit. Right. Um, but, you know, the thing with Outsource, so Outsource came about. That was my first, like, job. And in, like I said, I, I'd spent a couple years writing spec after spec and, like, doing pitches and meetings and meeting all around. And I'd gone on with a script that didn't sell that I was really proud of and I was really kind of bummed it didn't sell and as I was with the other ones. And I was doing the round of meetings, and I met with this um, – creative exec Jonathan Caden over at Sony or Columbia Pictures. You know, and it was the, the typical, like, okay, well, what are you doing next? And, and this was really, it was like right around then I was finally starting to get a little jaded with these meetings because I'd been doing them for four years and they hadn't led to any work. I mean, it's always nice to meet people and you never know. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, but it was literally, it was almost even that day that I was like going to this feeling like, you know what, this is a waste of my time. I've been on so many <laughs> meetings. It never leads to anything. And, and I sort of, you know, felt like I was like banging my head against the wall of like, okay, everyone says they like what I do and I don't know what to do any, anything different than what I'm doing, but what I'm doing is not working. Right. Um, and it was, so I went to this meeting and we were talking about stuff and, and it was sort of an idea I had, but it was only kind of a kernel of an idea. And, and I'll tell you exactly what I pitched and what they bought. Um, but, but basically, you know, it was around the time of um, the Kerry Bush election and it was in the spring and, and I was reading a lot about outsourcing in the papers, but you're reading about these small towns that really hurt, you know, hard by this. And I was thinking about, you know, the Ron Howard, Michael Keaton movie, Gung Ho, and mm-hmm. how that was very much like a movie for its time in the 80s of like, you know, what was going on with, you know, us sort of feeling like we were losing out to Japan. And anyway, I was thinking, as I go, it'd be interesting to do like a Gung Ho type movie now about this. Um, but instead of the Japanese coming here and buying all of our stuff, it's like all of our businesses are going elsewhere. Right. And so basically, he's like, well, what else are you working on? And, and it was sort of what I pitched you, you know, before. Um, and it was basically that simple. And there's one or two other like jokes and things. And, and he really liked the idea. And they had just signed a deal with um, uh, this company Mosaic, which was mm-hmm. uh, at the time Eric Gold and Jimmy Miller. And um, Eric was in Swan's manager. And so Jonathan said, just like, oh, do you know Eric? And I was like, no, I've never met him. He's like, you should develop this with Eric for Vince and then come back and pitch it. And I was like, okay. And, and I liked the idea. And so I was, you know, going to do that. I didn't know Eric. And so I, you know, was going to maybe develop it on my own and then go pitch it around. And then a week later, I, uh, my agent calls. I'm like, okay, something crazy happened. Um, you know, after all these years of writing scripts and like pitching stuff where I could tell you every detail of it, you know, <laughs> this chance log line that I threw out, um, they had, uh, Jonathan had pitched to Eric and Eric really liked it. And he pitched it to Vince and they were shooting Wedding Crashers and Vince pitched to Ellen. And they're like, great. Like we like to work together. Maybe this will be our next film. Um, and so they hired me to write it. I mean, they bought the idea and hired me to write it. And so I developed it for a while. And, you know, um, I, I was pretty happy with the script and, and they, you know, the other thing producers were too. And once we, you know, went back and forth, like you usually do, you know, once we basically got, you know, the studio to the place where they were really happy with it and wanted to make it at that point, Wedding Crashers had made like $200 million and Vince was getting offered like every movie in Hollywood for like $20 million a piece. And, you know, they had wanted to do this, but at that time, which I totally understand, like, um, he's like, well, I don't necessarily want to do another buddy movie with Owen right now when that's sort of out, out there. I think if the movie had maybe done old school money, like $80 million where it was a hit, but it wasn't that big of a hit. Right. I think they probably would have made the movie because they really did. They're great together and they did like working together. 
Right. Um, so then, then it became like, okay, who are those guys? And the downside of doing buddy movies, which I found out because I've written a bunch of them, is that not only do you need to get one star, you need to get two stars. Um, and that's always tricky because it's, you got to find the guys that work well together um, and the right sort of combination. Like they can't be too similar. You know, they can't be too different that you don't want to see them in that movie together. Um, they also have to be actors. You know, it has to be an actor that the other actor wants to work with. Um, and, um, and so it's, it's tricky <laughs> having done that a couple times now. Um, but we just, we ran into that a lot with outsource. It was sort of like, we would, we would get the, we would get like one actor that the studio would be happy with, but then we couldn't find the other one. Um, you know, and it's also finding, you know, it's like, uh, the right comedic director. It's like, there, you know, um, there are very few people that like, you know, everyone feels comfortable with that the studio will make a movie with that guy. Um, so we, you know, we struggled with that for a little bit, um, as well. Um, one of my other movies actually came out of Outsource, um, and that when Vince Nolan dropped out, uh, Will Smith had done Hitch that year, and mm. which was a massive hit, and you know, I mean, he's you know the biggest movie star in the world, and so Amy Pascal, um, the head of Sony, um, called up Will and said like, hey, we have the scripts, and you know, I think it's really great, you should read it, and um, would have been amazing. I mean, it's not really, it wasn't really written for Will. Um, you know, it was written for Vince Vaughn, which is tricky because I think everyone would like that character, but there's not a lot of guys that do what he does. And I think that was tough for us as well. But anyway, Will, to his credit, read the script right away. And I heard he passed on it, which was, you know, too bad, but to be expected. Uh, but then a week later, I get a call from my agent that um, there was this project at Fox called This Means War that had been around for like 10 years. And they had just brought Will on to redevelop it as a vehicle for him. And Will really liked Outsource and called them up and said, hey, you should hire this guy. And um, it was one of the few times this has happened to me, but they basically <laughs> just offered me the job. Um, and, you know, usually, you know, usually even when they're interested in you and, you know, there's a good likelihood that you'll, you know, probably get the job, you know, it's like a job interview. You go in sure. and meet and you pitch everyone your ideas and, you know, you sort of go through that process. And this was one of a few times and, and it was awesome of them to do that. And partially because the biggest movie star in the world said hire him. Right. Um, but, you know, but they basically like, I wasn't available for a little bit. Um, cause this was right when I started really working. So I met with Emma Watts, who's now that had a Fox and she was the exec on it and was great. And, you know, she said, Hey, we'll love your script. He really wants you to do this. And, and, you know, I mean, I, we talked in general about, you know, the idea and some thoughts on it and she's like, okay, great. Let's make a deal and we'll figure it out later. Um, and that, you know, that script, the original, which I hadn't read at the time, cause there'd been like 10 years of scripts before me on that. Um, mm -hmm. and it was an idea that sold to a different, I think to revolution years before, I think around the time of dumb and dumber. Um, and it was basically, it was like two guys fall in love with the same woman and two best friends fall in love with the same woman and go to war with each other. And the draft they sent me, which was years later, and to be honest, I didn't even know who wrote it because they didn't give me a title page on it, which is strange. But it was basically, it was like two architects in San Francisco and they're like blowing up each other's apartments and like the girl was really dumb and you just kind of didn't like anybody. Right. And I think that was part of the trick of that concept, which is, you know, if you have two best friends and they're fighting over the same woman, at a certain point you stop liking either of them. Right. And so I think that was sort of the hard part with the script of like, okay, well, how do we do that? And for me, that was my problem with the version that I read. Um, and so, you know, my pitch to them was like, okay, well, what if, what if James Bond and like Indiana Jones were best friends? And in between saving the world, they both fall in love with the same woman. And it's like, well, what does that mean? You know, it's like, what's, what's more important, your best friend or the love of your life and what happens when they come into conflict with each other. Sure. And so that was sort of my take on it and, you know, went off and wrote it and it took, uh, it took a bunch of years to get made. Will, Will was going to do it a certain, um, for a while. 
and then he was kind of, I, I think, in a phase where, you know, he was into darker material and was doing Pursuit of Happiness and Seven Pounds, and they were really happy with the script, so they're like, well, it's, you know, instead of waiting, you know, Will sort of said this, I mean, he's like, well, instead of waiting for me, when I, you know, I do want to do this, but I don't know when I'm going to do it, well, the script's ready, so why don't you go get two other actors and go do that? But then we, felt, we ran into the same problem that I dealt with on Outsource, which is like, okay, it's hard to get two guys that are right. the right two guys for it, and so literally for about four years, I would get calls every once in a while. I was like, Hey, what about Ben and Matt? I'm like, great. And you know, um, what about Vincent Owens? Like, great. You know? And, and, uh, you know, they would, sometimes they would get one of them one do, but not the other one. And, and it really was about the combination. And, you know, and then, you know, I get calls like, well, what about, you know, Jim Carrey and Will Ferrell? And I was like, well, I love them, but I don't think they're right for this, or at least <laughs> this version of it. And look, it's not up to me, right. but I think the, uh, I love the final casting, which was Chris Pine and Tom Hardy. But to me, the part of the comedy of the movie was to take two action guys, like two leading men, and then put them in a romantic comedy, mm-hmm. which I think is more fun than you know, it's like than taking two comedic. comedic actors and trying to sell them as spies, because it almost is sort of like it becomes a different movie. It's like you don't the, the reality of it, you know, it's it's a stretch anyway with the idea, but I think it becomes even more of a stretch if you take guys that you just would never buy in a, in a million years as spies. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, Mick G, when he came undirected, I think, you know, saw that as well. And, and I was really happy with the casting. I think I think Chris and Tom are going to be huge stars. And uh, I thought they were really great in the movie. Yeah, no, but, but, um, but yeah, but it took a And Reese Witherspoon was perfect um, for it. And uh, writing my version of The Perfect Girl. Um, <laughs> and uh, but um, but yeah, but that's like, I think from the time that I got the initial call on it to the time it got made, I think it was like seven years, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it um, seems the mythology of uh, writing a spec, selling it, and having it made into a film, there's about a million other things that have to happen to have yeah. that actually occur. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, before, uh, there's, there's obviously, excuse me, all kinds of stuff that I wanted to cover, but I just wanted to throw out there, um, Outsourced, Danny McBride, Jay Baruchel, $200 million hit right there. Right? Oh, that was a really good idea. Um, you I know, know, actually, I, Dan... Danny was my idea for a while. I don't know. I don't know if you ever read it. I think when, it, to be honest, it's just kind of sitting there right now. Like there's nothing really going on with it. But the last time there was like a run to make it, Danny was my big idea because I think for the type of character that I wrote for like, you know, for Vince or, you know, what it could have been Bill Murray back in the day, I think Danny would have been perfect. Yeah. Um, I think he would have been hilarious. And Jay actually would have been really great too. Um, that's a really good idea. Um you know, uh, I did. I, I worked on a movie. Um, I don't have credit on it, um, but I did a little work on this movie. She's out of my league. That starred Jay, and I thought Jay was really great in it. Yeah, I think. Um, so. Yeah, I think they're both um, fantastic, and I think they're both very different and unique. And yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, they. Oh no, well, I'm, I'm doing something else with Sony right now, so maybe if that goes, I'll, I'll bring it up again. But but they. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be a good combination. I think when it came up last time, it was like when I mentioned Danny it was around the time he was really hitting it big and was in like every movie, right? Um, and was just like booked up for a couple of years. Um, right. But you know, um, yeah, I don't know, it's a good idea. <laughs> um, what's what's your personal writing process like? I mean, do you start with an outline, a treatment, a beat sheet? Do you use index cards? How do you break down a script? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it. Um, you know, it's a lot of like, to me, it's like a puzzle. Like, like I usually, I usually come from a place I'm um, start with and which, you know, this is, say you shouldn't do, but everyone does, you know, different things mm-hmm. is that um, I, I usually come from the broader idea of the type of movie I want to make where I'll have like a big idea or I'll like, okay, I want to, uh, you know, 
I want to do a buddy movie or I want to do like a Goonies type movie. Or it's like, okay. And then it's like, okay, well, what's that story? And then, you know, you sort of like filling the pieces like, okay, well, all right. So I have this basic story. It's like, well, who are the characters? Like who would make sense? Like who fits into this world? And then, you know, for me, it becomes like, okay, well, what are, you know, what are the set pieces? Um, like what are the big scenes that you're going to take away, you know, from this? And so, you know, the, the pieces come at different times. Like sometimes you think of a character first, sometimes it's like, okay, I have this great idea for a sequence. Um, and then you slowly start kind of like filling in the puzzle pieces. And usually for me, like it starts with a lot of like wandering, you know, like I'll run errands or, you know, be thinking about it in the car or in the shower, or like swimming or, you know, doing something else basically mm-hmm. where I'm just kind of working on it in my head. And then, you know, I'll jot down notes and, and stuff. And then when I feel like I have enough, you know, then I'll, I'll kind of write an outline um, if most if someone else read it, it probably would make no sense. And it's full of like, you know, <laughs> horrible grammar and, and whatever, but it's just sort of like for me to get it all down. And then, you know, when I feel like, okay, well, I have enough to start writing it, then I, you know, start, okay. Um, I start going to write it. Um, but then it usually, like I was saying, coming up with the, uh, the big pieces and the set pieces, then it becomes like, okay, then putting them in place. So it's like, okay, I know I have these three or four big scenes I really want to have, have in the movie. It's like, okay, well, wh- where do they go and what leads to what? And then you kind of like start putting it all together. Um, and that's, you know, that's usually when I start, start writing. But I, but I like to, you know, I, I feel like, I know some people do. I feel like I heard the Farrelly brothers do this where they don't really have an outline where they just start writing and see where it goes. Um, I don't know if they still do that, but I remember hearing that at some point. Um, but I feel like I feel like you need to you know need to know every detail, but you need to know what you're writing and where where you're going with it. Right. Because um, I think otherwise you do you know you hit roadblocks and you get stuck. And I I think um, and then it's you know I think writing to me is so much about momentum. It's like once you really get into it and get into that world. And typically I like to work on one thing at a time so I can kind of stay immersed in it and stay in that thing rather than like okay I have to jump out of this and get back into the something else. And I feel like it takes longer for both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, the more roadblocks you hit, the the more it slows down your momentum. And so I think you're better off like, okay, really mapping it out and figuring out what the movie is and what you want to do before you start writing. I think the writing process goes smoother when you do that. Right, right. No, I agree. Uh, plus, I think sometimes when you haven't, um, like I use a beat sheet, but if you haven't mm-hmm. outlined, if you don't have your acts broken down, if you don't know where you're sort of going, you can find a lot of, you spend a lot of time wasted writing things you'll never use and you kind of have a tendency sometimes to sort of ramble and go off in random tangents that's always a threat when you really don't know necessarily where you're going although again totally. if fairly brothers fairly brothers have their way obviously they're brilliant at what they do so and look, maybe they maybe they're not doing it anymore i just remember reading that in an interview a while ago and i was thinking sure. like, oh that's interesting and you know everybody's got their process and you just got to figure out what works for you but yeah i'm a big supporter of like know what you're writing before you sit down right because i think it's very easy to i also feel like you know, and I decided this a long time ago, it's like, if I start a script, I'm going to finish that script. Um, you know, I, I know we, we have friends we went to college with that, you know, have drawers full of like lots of um, like 10, 20 page scripts that were never finished. Right. Um, and stuff. And so, you know, it's hard and it's hard. It's, but again, especially when you get stuck, like it's hard to get out of, you know, to get back into it. And so it's like, yeah, I figure, do your homework and figure it out beforehand, I think. Right. I think what you mentioned about momentum is uh, huge. So. Um, yeah. Now, uh, you are working on a Midnight Run sequel, which Midnight Run is one of those films that is absolutely fantastic, which is sort of overlooked. It's not necessarily one of those uh, sleeper films that people don't know about, but I don't think it really gets the sort of appreciation for what it was with 
you know, Charles Grodin, De Niro. I mean, it's absolutely a brilliant film. I think, um, actually, I think it does. I feel like it's one of those movies that it, I mean, it got great reviews and it did well, but it wasn't like a massive hit. Right. But I feel like it's one of those ones that over the years sort of has grown this thing. Like I, I find, I mean, I guess maybe like maybe some kids don't know it now, but I feel like sure. people are our age and most people, when you bring that up, most people, I feel like most people have seen it now. And then it, it definitely was one of those movies that on cable and on VHS that people found and, and like people use it. I mean, it's used all the time as a template, you know, for like, okay, what, what's a classic buddy movie? It's like midnight run. And the, the idea where it came from of doing the sequel, which by the way, is my dream project. And I hope it gets made at some point. Right. We'll see. There's not right now, you know, I'm, I don't know necessarily what's going on, but um, hopefully at some point we can get it going. Um, but, you know, basically I'd, I'd had a general meeting with um, Robert De Niro's company, Tribeca. Um, and so I met with uh, these execs, Brandon Brito and Megan Livers, um, who are not there anymore, excuse me, are not there anymore. And they're like, hey, we, you know, we've read some of your scripts. We'd love for you to write something for Bob, which is what everyone calls Robert De Niro. It does feel weird to call him Bob. Right. And, uh, um, and we just started talking about ideas. And, and I, you know, I said, have you guys ever talked about doing another Midnight Run? And I feel like it's one of those movies that, like, when you go on meetings and you meet at studios, like, you'll hear a lot of, um, you know, everybody's like, well, we'd love to do another Goonies. Or, right. I mean, not a sequel, but, like, something in that vein. Or, it's like, we'd love to find a Midnight Run. Or, we'd love to find, you know, now I feel like Lethal Weapon's coming up a lot. Like, everybody's trying to figure out the buddy cop movie right. um, again. But, but, you know, I mean, I told them that. And I go, well, everyone's trying to find another Midnight Run. What if we actually did another Midnight Run? Mm-hmm. And... You know, and we talked about it, and and, this, and then became the question was like, okay, what is that movie? And I think, you know, if you did a direct sequel to the original, it's like there's a version I'm sure where it's like, you know, um, Jimmy Serrano, that Dennis Farina character is getting out of, uh, getting out of prison 20, 30 years later, and you know, comes after the two of them. And I sort of felt like I was like, you know what? I was like, that just feels like it's the first movie again, and you're not going to do the first movie any better than they did, so it's like you shouldn't do that. And I was like. Jack Walsh, the Robert De Niro character, like if you think of those movies, like okay, how do you sequelize this? Is like to me is like a great, great character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, you know, it's like what if you know it's 20 years later, it's another Midnight Run, like it's a new story, it's a new person he's got to get. And you know, my feeling on it was that you know Grodin was so amazing and such a part of the original. It's like you want to involve him somehow. And so I was like, well, what if Grodin had a Grodin had a son? And the way the first movie ended, like he's still on the run. And so maybe they haven't seen each other since the first movie. And he shows up one day at Jack's diner and, you know, he asked Jack to do him a favor and find his son and bring him back. And he sort of underplays the threat. And then, so the bulk of the movie would be about, you know, Jack Walsh um, and the son of Charles Grodin, you know, basically having to, you know, go on another midnight run. Like he has to get him from one part of the country to the other part of the country while people are trying to kill them and the, you know, the government's looking for him and whatever. And so you have the same template of the original film, but it's a new story, new characters, new set pieces. Um, and so I wrote it for the, you know, for the character, um, for the other character we were trying to figure out. We're like, okay, well, who, you know, Charles Grodin was so great and their chemistry was so wonderful and, and that made that movie work. And there were lots of, when they were making the original, it was like, you know, it was almost Robin Williams, like some Paramount really wanted Cher to do it. Um, the movie didn't end up being made by <laughs> Paramount, but they were pushing that. It was around Moonstruck. And, you know, all great actors, but I don't think the movie would have worked as well. Sure. There was just something about that combination. And so for us, we're like, well, Groden drove him so crazy. Like, who's the guy that would just drive him nuts? And we, we sort of settled on, you know, and it wasn't, he wasn't attached, but, but we're like, oh, what if it's like Jonah Hill? And so we wrote, 
that character and it was a really fun character to write and stuff. And I think there, and, and there was some interest from Jonah, Jonah read the script and, and then stuff. And I, and I feel like they'd be great together. Um, and so that was sort of that version of that movie. And I hope, I hope at some point we can get it made because I think it would be, uh, I think it'd be super fun. Yeah, um, and it really was a joy to write, you know, one of my favorite characters every day. Um, and so oh, anyway, so we, they, we, you know, we pitched it universal, pitched it to Robert De Niro. Um, and he loved it, pitched it to his partner, James Rosenthal. Um, and they were really excited about it. And like, um, you know, uh, Robert De Niro loved the script and, you know, I was sending him pages and, you know, I'd send to him and he'd read them right away, which was amazing. Um, and so, um, so yeah, anyway, that's something I hope we can get going at some point. I hope you can too. That's fantastic. Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, I, I love Midnight Run. Um, yeah. Uh, and tell me a little bit about Pixels, Adam Sandler. Yeah, I did, um, I did a movie with Adam Sandler a couple of years ago, um, called Just Go With It, mm-hmm. um, that I'm really proud of. And, and, uh, you know, this project um, came up, it's, it's, it's something slightly different for, for him. It's like a big Ghostbusters type movie. And it's basically, there was this French short film a couple of years ago um, that um, basically was about like 80s video game characters attacking the world. Um, and so it was like Donkey Kong and uh, uh, Centipede and Pac-Man. And, um, and so, yeah, it's sort of like essentially for, I mean, it makes more sense in the movie, but essentially it's like Ghostbusters with those type of characters. Right. Um, and uh, it's it's a hard one. I think when you read the script, it makes more sense about how this happened and 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 what. But it's uh yeah, it'd be a big fun like summer temple movie. And so um you know Seth Gordon is uh, who did uh, this great documentary King of Kong, mm-hmm. um that was about. Uh, did you ever see it, Kevin? I did. I thought it was great. Yeah, me too. And and so I mean, it basically, is about guys very much in that like sort of back in the day um, were you know. Uh, big arcade guy, game guys and like you know won all the and sort of the, got the highest scores and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and very much about those guys in that world and so the idea with this would be a take not those characters obviously they're real people but like right. people that you know when they were young kids were like really good at these video games and now they're older and they haven't and this is fictional it's not based on King of Kong but you know their lives didn't quite turn out the way they thought they would and but they do have this skill that there really has been no need for for 30 years um but now there's, you know, they sort of get called in to sort of help deal with this crisis. Um, and so, so yeah. So anyway, so Seth's uh, producer on it and um, developing with him and Happy Madison Adams Company and um, writing it right now. And I think it could be really fun. I'm, I'm actually really excited by it. So hopefully hopefully that one will uh, will come together as well. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, I think it could be a really fun movie. So. And, and I was talking about it with somebody else the other day. Um, and it seems that video games are one of those things that, people from the previous generation don't really sort of understand, but everyone in our generation does. Yeah. Uh, You know, we grew up with video games, so they're just part of our culture. And even as we get older, you know, like we still play video. We still have an affinity for video games where again, uh, the previous generation when they were our age had you know, no concept of it. It was something that kids did, but now everyone does, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that that's very timely in that sense as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Someone said, because there, there hasn't been that great, but I guess it was like that way with superhero and comic book movies. I mean, all it takes is one, and there's some percolating out there. I mean, it's, it's different from what my movie is, but um, you know, like mine is very much more about the classics and old school stuff. Right. But, um, you know, someone, I don't know who said it, but I, I feel like I've read a couple people that I thought was smart saying that they feel like video games are the next sort of comic book um, franchise is right. that in the next couple of years, like a lot of these games, um, you know, they think that's going to be the next trend. And, and I can see that it's, I mean, all it takes is someone actually doing it well. I mean, Super Mario Brothers is a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> the Doom uh, with The Rock, and I love The Rock, was not a good movie. 
but I think if someone does a good version of those, you'll probably see a lot of those, you know, popping up. And uh, um, so, yeah, but I agree with you. It's like, it is a generational thing. Like everyone knows these sort of things. And I think for our story, it's the idea of like old school guys that played the classic games. And, and there's something that you get very much from watching Seth's movie that, you know, you look back at them and you're like, oh, they seem so simple and easy, but they're actually really hard yeah. um, to, to actually do well and master those games. And, you know, like unlike now where you can keep, playing forever uh, or you go, you know, you can save the game and go back to, um, you know, the level. Right. But like back in the day, it was like one quarter, three lives, you know, it's like, if you didn't beat it, you died. Right. And so it was like really hard to like, okay, on one quarter to like beat a game sure. um, and stuff. And so that's some of the stuff that we deal with, but, but yeah, no, I, I think, you know, yeah, you had generation that grow up, grow up on this and there, there's, there's a great video game movie that hasn't been made yet. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll be, we'll be one of them, but yeah. we'll see. Um, now, I guess the last sort of question about uh, this uh, subject, um, just sort of what sort of advice would you give to aspiring screenwriters out there? Just, you know, basic advice. What would you throw out there for? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I think we covered some of it. I mean, I, I think my biggest thing is, like, like I said, is like, um, we were talking about before is like figure out what you're good at and, and really focus on like honing that skill and, and, and write, you know, become, become the great thriller writer, become the great sci-fi guy mm -hmm. and, and stuff. And I think that's your best way and to, you know, to get work and to sort of, you know, start working on it. I mean, in terms of writing scripts, it's, you know, it's hard. I mean, everyone's got a different process, but like, look, I love movies. I mean, what, what, when I write a script, like I, I write a movie that I want to see. Right. Um, and that would get excited to see. And I think that's, for me, that's a good place to come at it. I, I do think, and it's an easy trap to fall into, and I think sometimes this is where bad movies come from, is that you get people that instead of making what they they like or making what they think is great, they're trying to make what they think an audience wants to see. Right. And I think, you know, and this is just a theory of mine, but I think that's where somehow you get into trouble. And, like, over the years, I mean, luckily I never got those jobs, but there were certain, you know, ideas that I would get pitched that I didn't love. And you work on it, you get to the point where ultimately you, you know, hopefully you do fall in love with it. But there, there were a couple things that, you know, when I was just trying to sell anything was like, oh, I'll, I'll get involved with that idea that I don't particularly love, but it feels like something's going to sell. Mm -hmm. But then if it doesn't, you spend all this time on it and you're like, you know, I never loved this in the first place. And so, you know, I would say like, you know, um, you know, write something that you're excited about, like write something that you love. And it definitely makes a difference. You know I mean? Like, like I said, like writing the midnight run sequel is a joy every day. Like I just love getting up and writing that, you know, and there've been other ones that, you know, usually by the end you fall in love with all them, but you know, there've been jobs that I've taken that where the idea was something that I wasn't super crazy about or, or wasn't, you know, initially that excited about, but it was like, there was a person, there was an actor or a director, or there was some part of the project that was like, okay, I want to work with that person. I want to be in business with them. And then, you know, like I said, it was coming to, it was like, okay, this isn't an idea that I would naturally, it's like that I'm super excited about on its own, but it's like, okay, what's the version of this movie that I want to see? Right. Um, and, and so that's where I always sort of come from it. And there was a project, I won't say which one, cause I'm a bag on the previous writer, but, <laughs> but there was a project that, that I worked on that was like that, that I, I really didn't like the script, but there was, you know, some pieces involved that I, people I wanted to work with. And it was around the time, it's the only time I've really taken a job, not for money, but it was like, I basically had this job offered to me and, um, uh, you know, this is when the economy was totally falling apart. And I remember thinking, I was like, I was like, you know, when so many people are like not working, it's like, who am I to turn down a job? Um, and so I, I took a script that I didn't really care for to rewrite, but then it became like, okay, 
now I have this job, I've taken it. It's like, what's the version of this movie that, that, that I want to see? And it actually ended up being one of my favorite scripts. And so I was, I was really happy that, that I did do that. But, but yeah, so that would, that would be my piece of advice. Like write something that, that you're excited about that you love. And then hopefully that'll translate and other people will feel that way as well. Right. Uh, we've got a few listener questions. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Question. How is writing action comedy different from writing other comedy? Um, it's a good question. I mean, it, I think from my personal theory, I, I think the big thing, and I think that, that a lot of people don't do, is that w- I think when you're writing an action comedy, you need to, you need to take the stakes and the villain very seriously. Um, and I think that when you look at ones that don't work and fail, it's when they make the villain a joke or when they make the stakes kind of a joke. Mm-hmm. And it's tricky. I mean, like, you know, I mean, Austin Powers, but I wouldn't necessarily call him action comedy. I mean, I think Dr. Evil is one of the best characters ever. Um, and so like a, he's obviously a comedic character, but I think actually his, what he's doing in the first movie, like he, you buy him as a person. I mean, he seems, he got more ridiculous as the franchise went on, but anyway, um, I I think that, you know, it's like my, my approach to action comedies is like, okay, you know, the plot should feel like it would out of a normal action movie. And, you know, the villain should feel like it could exist in a normal action movie. And then you find the comedy by, you know, it's like not for all action comedies, but for me, it's like instead of, you know, Ethan Hunt or Tom Cruise having to track down the bad guy, it's, you know, it's Adam Sandler and Paul Rudd or, you know, whoever it ends up being. Um, and that's where the comedy comes from. As you get the comedies from like, okay, it's like instead of a normal action star being the one to have to save the world, it's like it, it's a bunch of regular guys or people that you wouldn't expect. And then you get comedy from them or from, you know, from the different sequences at the moment, but I think you have to take the stakes of it uh, very seriously. Um, otherwise, I feel like the whole thing falls apart, and there's just no reality to it. Um, so that's that's my sort of philosophy on action action comedies. Right. Um, question: Is it harder to sell a drama script, action, or a comedy? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, it, it just it just depends on the time. I mean, I think it's everything's cyclical, and you just never know. I mean. I really do think, I think things sell when you happen to be pitching them the thing that they're looking for at that time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for a while they'd be like, okay, well, action movies and comedies are more commercial, so like don't write a drama. But then, you know, the past couple of years, like, and I think the blacklist has helped with that too, is that, you know, you become like, you know, someone writes a really great script that people become passionate about and they want to do, and then all of a sudden you're a really hot writer that's hired to rewrite action movies and comedies, you know? Um, and so I, I would say, as with all of them, it's like, like, write, write the, like we were talking about before, um, you know, write the thing that, that you like the most. Um, I mean, obviously, if you write, I mean, I don't know what a good example of it, but you should bear in mind some sort of commerciality <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to the thing. Like, um, but, but you never know. I mean, like, look, something like Black Swan, I mean, that movie made like $300 million. But like to me, you know, that I, I never would have thought that would have been more than an art house hit that would have made, you know, like maybe $15 million. Right. Um, or, and probably would have thought, so, that would be a really hard movie to sell and get made. But it did, and it became a big hit, and it worked really, it did really well for that writer. Um, I think his name is Mark Heyman. I might be wrong. Um, but so, I don't know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. So I, I just say, right, right, what you're passionate about, and, you know, hope that good things come from it. Right. Um, last Question: Will there be a role models too? Um, you know, it's so funny. I was actually just thinking about this recently. Um, I don't. I'd say probably not. But um, and there hasn't been any really talk of doing it. But but I, recently I was thinking about it. I mean, as they're making Anchorman too, and, and role models is something that people talk to me about like all the time. And it's been, I think, 
you know, David Wayne did an amazing job with the movie and, and the cast was great. And I was really happy with the way it turned out. Um, and, uh, and it's nice that it's had some longevity to it. Um, I actually, recently I did have some ideas for what a role models two would be, but if, if I would to bet, I would say that, no, there's probably not gonna be a role models two. <laughs> um, but, but I, I look, I'd be interested in writing it. I mean, I, I, I do, I love those characters, love that world. And, and as a typical part of development, I mean, I worked on that project for a couple of years and there were lots of different versions of it. And so there was a lot of good stuff that, um, you know, didn't end up in there. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, actually the thing that I'm going to write next, I think I want to write a spec. Um, I, I would pitch as role models with guns. I mean, it's not based on role models, but it's sort of, uh, it's sort of an action comedy version of that or not a version of role models, but in that vein, um, I would say, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I've been thinking about it more and more, um, recently, but yeah, I, I wouldn't bet on it, but maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Now we've, we've reached the part of the show where we, uh, have, uh, uh, rapid fire. We call it rapid fire. It's just a bunch okay. of rapid fire questions, sort of either or questions. Okay. Um, final draft or movie magic screenwriter? Well, I don't even know what movie magic screenwriter is, so I guess final draft. <laughs> um, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Starship Troopers? <laughs> um, Star Wars, I think, is one of the, uh, is my favorite one of my favorite movies ever. Starship Troopers, I think, is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Although I have friends that love it and they disagree with me about it all the time. And uh, I like Star Trek, so Star Wars. A funnier comedian, Tim Allen or Tim Meadows? <laughs> um, I love Galaxy Quest, so I don't know. I'll go with, I'll go with Tim Allen and Galaxy Quest. Okay. Um, if you could have a screenwriting gig outsourced anywhere, i.e., you know, shot on location, uh, where would you want it to be? Uh, you mean like like if I had to work in another country? Yeah, if you were going on location somewhere to shoot something. Oh, um, your gig was outsourced. Oh, but it has to be outside the country. I'm not doing well with your yeah. Just be, just be out. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, I, I just went to Italy recently. I think that'd be a blast to shoot a movie there. It was really pretty. I, Italy or Ireland, I guess. Oh, cool. Uh, better card game: Texas Hold'em or War? <laughs> War. Nice. And who would make a better spy? You, Paul Rudd, or Adam Sandler, and why? <laughs> um. Wow. I don't know. Um. I'll go with I'll go with Paul Rudd. I don't know. <laughs> why, why do you I have think no idea. Be better than you or Adam Sandler? I don't know. Maybe Sandler. I mean, what was that? What was the George Clooney movie with Sam Rockwell about the guy that was like an actor that, uh, or no, he was like a game show host that was working for the CIA. Maybe Sandler. Sandler's traveling all over the world. He's very charming. He's funny. <laughs> like maybe you're not, you wouldn't expect him to be a spy. Um, so, all right. But you fall in the same category. You're charming and funny and people wouldn't <laughs> well, necessarily so. expect you to, to uh, be a spy. <laughs> Um, Although I guess it depends what you're wearing, I, I think. That's, yeah. that's true. That's a good point. Um, um, cool. Well, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining okay. me today, Tim. Um, Thanks, you can, Kevin. You can follow Tim on Twitter at Timothy Dowling. Um, please visit our yes, website. I have, like, I have like no followers, so follow me on Twitter. Yeah, follow I'll, him on I'll, Twitter. I'll, I'll come up with something interesting to say, <laughs> or I'll try to. Um, and please visit our website at scriptandscribe.com for more information on all of our guests, archived podcasts, and lots of other great interviews and information on writing. And if you have any questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptscribes.com or send us a tweet at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening.